0: used to drag me to church Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights khaki pants and a polo shirt boy I put up a fight she said son one day you'll thank me for having God in your life and yeah I know she was right Yeah, my mama was right Cause now I'm talking to Jesus She got me talking to Jesus She got me talking to Jesus Yeah, my mama was right Cause now I'm talking to Jesus Yeah, I love talking to Jesus And I'll be talking to Jesus of my life, what a friend we have in Jesus! What a friend we have in Jesus, don't you know? I've got three of my own now, trying to raise them upright. My oldest is 15, and I remember what that was like. Trying to deal with the drama, trying to figure out the questions in life, and I've been looking for a way to show him. How to make it all right. Then he walked in my room while I was saying my prayers the other night. He said, I'll come back later.
1: I can tell you. Of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come. We are gathered together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grace. Hear the joy.
2: Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be able to get together and sing and hear from God's word as we do each week. My name's Jay. If you're new here, I'm the, the director of worship for City Church. And if you're joining us online, welcome. We are glad you did. Um, we're going to begin our service hearing from Psalm 89, the first four verses. This is our, our call to worship this morning. Would you stand with us as we begin our time together? Listen to these words as we begin. It says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. And actually, listen to verse 5. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. Let's pray. Oh, great God, this is why we gather together to sing to you to encourage and to build one another up in our faith. You call us to worship. So help us as we remember your faithfulness and your steadfast love toward us so that we may respond rightly, God. Would you enable us through the power of your Holy Spirit in us to respond with joy that we may grow together as one body of believers, singing with one voice, declaring that you are all we need. We thank you, God, for meeting us here. Would you renew our hearts and minds today? We pray in the beautiful and powerful name of Christ. Amen. Let's sing together. The church is one foundation. The church is one foundation.
1: Is Jesus Christ our Lord?
3: bring me-
4: Good morning. Welcome to City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community walking with God in our city. This is an opportunity for people who are uh, prone to wander to hopefully course correct a little bit and worship Jesus together through his words, through singing, uh, through communion eventually and ultimately to find rest in him. We would love to get to know you. Please consider uh, making yourself known and you can do that in a couple of ways. Number one, find us after the service. Find me after the service. I would love to have a conversation with you to get to know you, uh, to tell you a little bit more about our church and what we're doing here in downtown Gainesville. Number two, fill out a connection card. We put a physical connection card in your bulletin, the one you get when you walk in the door each morning. Put prayer requests on there in particular, and then if you want to make it anonymous, that's fine, but tell us how we can be praying for you like right now. Tune me out, take that card out, put that prayer request on there, and then drop it in the seat pocket in front of you. We'll pick them up after the service. There's also a virtual card, the same thing, uh, citychurchgmv.com connection. You can fill that out on your phone. Works just as well. Goes to exactly the same place. We worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as a people of God is giving generously. Give online, citychurchgmv.com give, or there's a brown box in the back of the sanctuary with envelopes and pins. That is always available. I'm mainly here, announcements-wise, to convince you to do one thing. And that one thing would be to come this afternoon at 4 o'clock to our terrific turkey cook-off. 4 to 7. This is for everybody. Also a great opportunity to invite some neighbors, to invite some friends. Um, I said last week, typically we would do it um, at a park downtown. Usually, last, Two years ago we did a depot park, uh, but the city is still not allowing those kinds of outdoor gatherings. So we're doing it at Creekside, which is kind of a sister church of ours that we are very good friends with. They have allowed us to use their property. So head out to Creekside at four o'clock today. Um, Consider being a part of the contest, right? Okay, so you can bring a turkey, which I know that would be very last minute. At this point, you're probably buying a pre-made turkey. Turkey dessert side, just bring one. I know that they will be judged, uh, but don't worry about it. It's still gonna be a fantastic time. Uh, for the turkey people, we give out a little trophy at the end. We're not kidding about that. We buy it. It's beautiful. I think, and I think this is like our ninth annual, um, one of these. We had to take a break last year. I think we're at number nine. We're at eight or nine now, which, I mean, that's intriguing. That's compelling in its own right. Why are they still doing this? We'll come find out um, at 4 o'clock today. So I hope that we will see you there for that. Here's another really encouraging announcement. We are now doing um, children's programming sort of, in the 11 o'clock service. So for a while, we've only been doing children's programming in the 9 a.m. service, but we are inching our way towards also doing it in the 11, starting with kids uh, 0 to 2. So now if you have a 0 to 2-year-old child, they will have programming opportunities galore at our 11 o'clock service. Um, I wanted to say a huge thank you to our children's ministry team who's been doing an amazing job. Yep. It's a lot to recruit enough volunteers uh, to make all this happen. We already have, I think, goodness, like 50 or so people on our team uh, doing children's ministry. Um, but now we have this, and hopefully there will be even more available at the 11 a.m. service, but we want to let you know that that is up and running now, so praise God and thank you to them. All right, here we go. We do a monthly spotlight now on our community engagement. We do a lot of things in our community, mentoring uh, with the arts community, homeless community, and... We have a treat. Uh, Tyler Jacobs, who is on staff at City Church, he's a pastoral resident. He helps lead our homeless uh, outreach ministry, and Christine is a part of that. And so Tyler and Christine are going to have a lovely conversation about what exactly it is that they are doing, how you can be praying for it, and then even how you can be a part of it. Thank you.
5: Yes, so... um I'm Tyler, this is Christine. Uh, We, yeah, so the Street Outreach team, about like six-ish months ago, was part of a larger initiative to be more involved in serving those experiencing homelessness in the downtown area or just Gainesville at large. Um, It was part of like a two-part mission of Street Outreach being like the local way that we do that, reaching out to neighbors who are in this downtown area But then as well, uh, serving with Grace Marketplace, which is a local homeless organization or homeless resource organization. Um, Grace is on hold or has been on hold since then. So street outreach has been the main way that we've been doing homeless ministry in that sense. Um, So this is what's going on now. And hopefully Grace opens more back up in the spring. Um, But since we're doing street outreach and that's uh, the way that the Lord has provisioned it, you want to start, Christine, by sharing a little bit about just what is street outreach? Like, what does that entail for people who have never maybe done something like that before. Yes, yes, I would love
6: to. Good morning. So our ministry is specifically focused on loving our neighbors here in our downtown community, and that involves establishing relationships with them um, and at least, at least trying or attempting to address their physical needs um, and potentially helping in tangible ways as well as their emotional needs by listening to them as well as their spiritual needs by praying for them and hopefully sharing the gospel with them.
5: Yeah, and so it's multifaceted. It looks differently each time maybe we go out and engage people. It's not the same thing every time, which is great. Um, Why do we do street outreach? Like what's some of the vision? How is it like connected to the overall mission of our church in downtown? Mm
6: -hmm. Yes, great question. So. As Christians we believe that we are called to be and make disciples of Jesus and um, this is something that we want to do both within our church and within our city downtown and this ministry is a way of living that out practically and part of being and making disciples means loving our neighbors as ourselves. And, of course, normally we think of our brick-and-mortar neighbors, but here in this community, being a part of City Church, that also means the folks that we see every day walking on the street, um, and that's something that we desire to do well.
5: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely unique. I think, obviously, churches all over the city of Gainesville can uh, love their neighbor in any context, but being downtown, we definitely have just, like, immediate access to people who are maybe more visibly in need and come to our doorsteps or sleep Mm -hmm. in our building. So Mm -hmm. yeah, um, I'm sure in the last few months since you've been involved, there's been a lot of conversations, a lot of encounters. Um, Could you share like an example of that or maybe one that stuck out to you to give people kind of a picture for what that's like?
6: Yes, so the conversations obviously vary from person to person, but one that comes to mind specifically was a gentleman that we met a few months ago and he was particularly eager And enthusiastic about speaking with us um, and his thoughts on Christianity as well as his current situation. In fact, when we uh, went to say goodbye, he somewhat like ran after us and said, wait, I have one more thought. You know, I'd love to talk to you more about this. And that was incredibly encouraging. He was even open to us praying for him. And I also had the opportunity of seeing him a month or so ago. And he was equally enthusiastic to have those conversations, and and that's what we desire to do, essentially, is to make people feel seen and heard and loved, and he obviously felt that way, and that was encouraging to us as a team.
5: Yeah, that's super encouraging, and um, yeah, I think it is kind of tying into what you're saying, but next question I had for you is uh, ways that maybe God has used this to teach you certain things. I know, like, when you're involved in something like this, obviously, there's, like, the need you're bringing to other people potentially, and, like, that's, like, the mindset, but then it ends up affecting you and, like, being edifying for us as Christians, I'd say. So, yeah, any lessons or takeaways that you think the Lord has taught you through being involved?
6: Yes, definitely. So, constantly reminded that all people are made in God's image and are of inherent value, and I think that sometimes that can be harder to remember, um, depending on the current situation or the circumstance. And so it's a good reminder as we go out and engage with people within our community. And I meant to say this earlier to one of your questions, but just remembering that it's ultimately Christ's love that compels us to love others and do good deeds. And so living that out, practicing that, remembering that is also helpful. And I think even remembering that ultimately I'm not sufficient to love people well, um, and that merely it's the grace of God that I can in fact extend love to my neighbor. And this is really encouraging, and I hope it's encouraging to you, because it frees us of the burden and pressure of feeling like we have to love people perfectly um, on our own strength, when in fact it's really by the strength of Christ.
5: Yeah, that's definitely encouraging. I think thinking about doing something like this, whether you've done it before or have done any kind of like initiative-based interaction with someone, I think it's definitely that reservation of like pressure to maybe say the right thing and do the right thing and Mm -hmm. um, have it come across perfectly. So uh, that's a great reminder. How can someone get involved if they wanna know more?
6: Well, first we would love for you to get involved, just FYI, Um, but if you are interested in joining or getting involved, there's absolutely no pressure to commit to serving ongoing. You can certainly come and just check it out and see if it's the right fit for you. We do meet, at least for our street outreach at this time, once a month, approximately two hours and there would be a certain level of training prior to being sent out, especially if you're unfamiliar with this type of ministry, and we would also pair folks up, and if you have preferences as far as your comfortability or experience, we would certainly take that into account. You can fill out a connection card, and you can put it in the brown tied box in the back if you are interested in serving, and if you have questions, you can certainly approach Tyler or myself afterward. And if you are unable to participate for various reasons, we know a lot of folks are serving other ways here. We can certainly use um, folks that are willing to give resources in a variety of capacities and of course, prayer, which is always needed and received well by us.
5: <laughs> Great. Uh, I'm gonna pray for the team and come down the stage. So we'll walk around. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for um, the opportunity to be a church um, that's walking with God in our city. And yeah, the uniqueness of being in downtown Gainesville and um, how you've called us and our unique ways to be here and and have the opportunity to come alongside you in your mission to um, reach and love people as Christ has loved us, as Christine was saying. So I thank you for that and pray over this team and just our church in general that you would continue to use it and use us um, for your glory here and uh, to yeah really acknowledge and make people who are in difficult circumstances potentially feel loved and heard um, and yeah do all of that by your strength and power so Lord we ask you this in Jesus name amen
4: There's been a lot of encouraging things going on this fall, a lot, but one of my favorites has been um, the faithfulness of this brand new team led by Tyler and uh, many others. So, really grateful for them. Um, and, and I pray and hope that this is something that happens in life of our church until Jesus comes back. That it just becomes part of our, our DNA. Our scripture passage this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 15 passage will be up on the screen if you have a Bible. We would love it if you would pull those out and follow along with us. If you don't have a Bible, there are some blue Bibles in the baskets underneath the chairs that are in front of you. And my guess would be that our passage is on page 1068. that is a guess, check it for yourself and we'll see. 2 Corinthians 5, 11-15. <clears throat> this is God's Word. Let me read it for us. Starting in verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the providence of this morning, a really beautiful morning, not only outside, but a beautiful Morning, in the sense that we are gathered together again, something we do not take for granted, especially in light of what we've been dealing with these past couple of years. What a joy it is to sit under your word, and we do pray that your spirit would move very powerfully, and that we would once again, as this series is titled, uh, remember of what it, what it means to be strong in the Lord in the midst of personal weakness. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is a statement. In this passage, that is a tier one violation of our contemporary sensibilities. The Apostle Paul, get this, is traveling around the Mediterranean basin, trying to persuade others to repent of their sin and put their hope in the resurrected Jesus. Here in the West, in 2021, that's like playing some crash cymbals, they in a yoga class. I mean, if, if verse 11 read, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we steal cars, that might honestly be a bit more digestible in our age. You know, they, they probably shouldn't be stealing those cars, but if it makes them happy, what are you going to do? You know, proselytizing, though, as it's called these days, that's, that's where I draw the line. How dare someone force their views upon someone else, especially views that are so exclusive and and behind the times. You know, the the Middle Ages called and they want their religion back. Charlemagne says, hello. But more seriously, in, in many parts of the world, there are potentially far worse fates for persuading others and getting shamed or getting memed. Telling others about Jesus can... Threaten your livelihood or even threaten your life. Just a few weeks ago, three Christians in Iran were sentenced to five years in prison under a freshly amended penal code for spreading propaganda. Many churches around the world are forced to operate underground because of government oppression and threats. And of course, Paul himself experienced all kinds of afflictions and persecutions on account of his New Covenant gospel ministry. Affliction and persecution was normative for Paul. So here's what I want to know this morning. What would possibly motivate us to persuade others, even when we know that the sailing will not be all that smooth? Why put up with the risk of becoming a cultural pariah or even... A prisoner? Why put in the necessary work and energy to function as many churches do underground? Why do all of that? Do we even accept the argument that we should be persuading others? Or should we mainly be pursuing a brand of quiet, private Christianity and leaving the, the evangelizing to the pastors and the clergy? These are very urgent questions that many of you are asking personally, or you know people around you, who are asking them. Two reflections that will guide our time together this morning. Number one, persuasion is all about fear. And then number two, persuasion is all about love. Persuasion is all about fear, and it's all about love. How do these go together? We'll see in just a second. We'll start with that first reflection. Persuasion is all about, fear. Skeptical folks might hear that and think, yeah, no kidding. You Christians, you you go around quite literally trying to to scare people out of hell. And then there's often a, a reference maybe to Jonathan Edwards and his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Or, you know, you Christians, you, you go around trying to convince everyone that, that the world out there is, is the boogeyman, so follow Jesus and come join us in our protective enclave. And then there's a reference to, you know, maybe banning Harry Potter books or something like that. Remember, by the way, remember when the should you read Harry Potter books issue was one of the most heated battles in our cultural wars? And... And before that, it was, can we continue listening to Jars of Clay since they licensed their music for an R-rated movie? And before that, it was The Simpsons. Times have changed. But this is a kind of fear that Paul isn't talking about. What is Paul talking about? What is the fear that Paul is talking about here in verse 11? Look at 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Whenever we see a therefore in our text, as you know, we always ask, what is it there for? In this case, it's a rhetorical bridge that's connecting verse 10 and verse 11. Corinthians, knowing, look back at verse 10, That all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That gives me, and honestly should give all believers, a healthy fear of the Lord, and so we persuade others. It's the argument. In line with what we discussed last week, this connection has nothing to do with Paul potentially getting smited by God for being an insufficient evangelist. The family of God is not a meritocracy in which you do obedient things to keep God happy and justify your spiritual status. Instead, the connection is this. Jesus' authority as this cosmic judge spotlights Jesus' magnificent power and glory And that power and glory moves Paul to respond to the Lord with this reverent, awestruck fear, which becomes his M.O., a fear that he knows, not shaking-in-my-boots fear, but fear that Michael Reeves describes as intensely delighted, wondering at God. That's the fear we're talking about here. And so Paul persuades others because that is what you do when you're that amazed by someone or something. Now we need to talk more about this persuading that Paul is doing because in this context, it's actually broader than you might think. More specifically, he's he's actually persuading on two separate but related fronts. We've already talked about front number one. Paul is trying to persuade people to repent of their sin and put their hope in Jesus, to to comprehensively believe in him. Now front number two. Paul is trying to persuade the people he's ministering to that his ministry is legitimate and that he has apostolic authority. Being very smart people, all of you can see how this front, front number two, is related to the first. Folks are probably not going to hear what Paul has to say about Jesus if they don't think his ministry and apostolic, apostolic authority are on the up and up. So look what Paul does here, which is a bit complex, but also fascinating, and you can totally do it. See the second part of verse 11. Corinthians, our, or most specifically, my legitimacy as an apostolic new covenant minister is already known to God, and it should already be known to you, and seared into your consciences. And here Paul is just restating the point he already made back in chapter 3. You've seen God Work in me and through me. You know my heart firsthand. You shouldn't need any further persuasion concerning my ministry. You already know what I'm about. And then move down into verses 12 and 13. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. You can tell that Paul is aware of, of some tension here. It sure looks like he's defending the legitimacy of his ministry in the sight of others, including his critics or his opponents, even though he's previously told the Corinthians that he doesn't need to do that or want to do that. So, so what's happening to I him? Mean, is, is he contradicting himself? What's going on? He's not contradicting himself because he's not defending the external nature of his ministry, such as his rhetorical abilities or his physical appearance and so forth. That is what Paul previously disavowed. He's very well aware of his status in those areas and therefore putting zero energy into convincing the Corinthians that they actually do have cause to boast about him in those external ways. He doesn't care about any of that. And he knows he's deficient. However, he is making it a point to remind all who have ears to hear that the legitimacy of his ministry is ultimately a heart issue, not a physical appearance and gifts and abilities issue. And to do so, Paul channels God's very famous words to Samuel that you can find if you want to back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Corinthians. Man looks at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. So now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, you know how to answer those who are boasting on account of their appearances and skills. And now you know how to boast about And defend me. And then in in verse 13, Paul responds to a charge that externally, apparently some people were criticizing Paul. They were saying, this guy, he's kind of crazy. He's, He's one fry short of a happy meal. He's beside himself. A charge probably made on account of his zeal for the gospel. And he responds like this, Corinthians, whatever craziness people claim to detect in me is just normal gospel passion. So you can be confident that my ministry to you is of a sound mind. Church, put all this together, put all of this together, all of this argumentation together, and you can see a very instructive cause and effect relationship. Yes, Paul is defending his ministry, but we can also tell that Paul's fear of the Lord ultimately suffocates His fear of man. Or to put it another way, the same fear that motivates his gospel ministry ends up clearing out another kind of fear that threatens persuasive gospel ministry. When we're in touch with God's glory and power by the work of the Spirit who lives in followers of Jesus, we not only want others to behold that glory along with us, we also know that the legitimacy and efficacy of our ministry is really not about our outward appearances or our talents. Why? Because rightly beholding and fearing the Lord puts us in our place, and it reminds us where the power really lies. And when we know that, It's not really about us. The power lies with the Lord. When we know that, we're unconcerned about human evaluations of our impressiveness or our skill. We're unconcerned about mockery. And we're unconcerned about threats. Instead, we know that the God we're amazed by is transforming our hearts and empowering us for ministry. And... He's going to use us to carry out effective gospel ministry, even if we are the grand champions of the most inadequate person in the world pageant. So Paul's ministry defense, it's not just a defense. It's a wonderful source of encouragement for those, especially those of us who are unduly affected by the opinions of other people and the threats of those who wish us ill. It is a wonderful source of encouragement for those of us who who feel inadequate, like we're on the, the JV ministry team and we're not even on the team, we're the equipment managers. However, it's only a source of encouragement if we really do know the fear of the Lord, like Paul does. So let me ask you, do you know this fear, church? Do you know this fear of the Lord? Do you have a view of God that captures more of Him than just His fatherliness and His love? As important as that is, and it's very important, you have a view of him that rightly captures his holiness and his power and his authority? A view of him that rightly acknowledges at verse 10, all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and receive what is due for what we've done in our bodies. Or as Paul says elsewhere about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1, by him, that is Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Is that your view of God? And I'm intentionally emphasizing the authority and the holiness of Jesus To contradict the view that God the Father is is holy and glorious and authoritative. But then the son comes on to the scene and he's he's chill and he wears converses and so forth. All three persons of the Trinity are holy and, and glorious and authoritative. All of them. And they're equally divine. Reverent fear is the right response to all of them. And here's where everything swings back and I think hopefully hits pay dirt concerning evangelism and how we think about evangelism. If you merely see Jesus as, as the chill, loving guy with converses, that will downgrade your view of his glory in such a way that you won't give a hoot about persuasion. Your, your spiritual life will become nothing more than quiet enjoyment of some things that you find uplifting and comforting about Jesus. You know, some nice things that, that you hear on the radio or read in the Facebook posts that your friend shared with you, and that will be that. There won't be any persuasive urgency to tell other people about Jesus. And even if there happens to be a flicker of persuasive zeal, Opposition, when it comes, and it will come, will snuff it out immediately because you won't have a particularly robust view of this guy you're telling people about. Church, do you know the fear of the Lord? Do you have this reverent, delighted awe? I realize this might raise some questions about how to grow in our fear of the Lord, and I do hope you Talk about these in the weeks to come in your community groups or just organically with other people. But I'll say one thing for now. This is why, church, it is so important to not just read bits and pieces of our Bibles when we feel like it or, or I would say worse, to get our theology kind of spoon-fed to us by random social media nuggets or podcasts or even popular songs. If we want to get a full view of God, then we need to read our full Bibles. We need to to devour them from cover to cover. It's not a race. We're not, you know, I'm on the six months and the whole Bible plan. I, I read it three times in a year. It's not a race. But by the grace of God, we make daily concerted progress. Morning and evening, if we can muster it. Well, in case you think we're somehow dissing the love of God in favor of fearing God, that's not the point at all. Are we pursuing balance? Yes. Are we dismissing God's love? Absolutely not. In fact, we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about it, which brings us to our second reflection. Persuasion is all about love. So on one hand, it's all about Fear, the kind of fear we've just been talking about. On the other hand, it's also all about love. Paul uses particularly strong language in verse 14 to let us know about the second factor that motivates him to persuade others in the context of New Covenant gospel ministry. Let's look at verse 14 and then continue into verse 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So this this love that comes from Christ, this, this love of Christ expressed here toward Paul and other people, is so profound and so overwhelming that it controls Paul. You see this. He's effectively under its spell. What is the nature of this love? What is the nature of this love that comes from Jesus? Paul tells us about it in verse 14. Jesus, the holy, authoritative, glorious Son of God, that Jesus died for all. Therefore, all have died. This requires some explanation. You know, because, of course, this initially sounds like great news. Everybody's dead. Jesus is dead. You're dead. I'm dead. (laughs) Amen. Here's what's going on. Here's here's the calculus. Here's the math. Every last one of us is sinful. No one is righteous. Romans chapter 3. And the penalty for that sin is physical and spiritual death. See Romans chapter 6. But Jesus died that death for, which here means instead of, he died that death instead of all. So when Jesus died that death instead of the all, the all can be said to have died with him since Jesus' death was for them. It's the math. All meaning which people? All meaning who? Is this this universalism? Will, Will every human being be reconciled to God? Is that what Paul is saying? It's not universalism. It doesn't fit the context of even this very chapter, something that will become abundantly clear once we get to verses 16 through 21, which will be after the Advent season. And it doesn't fit with Paul's Arguments elsewhere in Romans chapters 1 and 2, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, and on and on we could go. But all is inclusive in another magnificent sense. You ready? All who repent of their sin and put their hope in Christ can be said to have died with Christ. And anyone can be part of that all. Anybody. And, and boy, was that taking people off in Jesus' day and then in Paul's day. Really controversial. So, so one more time, you know, for, for those in the back, Christianity is simultaneously exclusive and inclusive. Salvation is exclusively through Jesus, but it's inclusively for every. Ethnic group, race, socioeconomic status, you name it. Nobody has a corner on the Jesus market. And here's friendly reminder number one million, that the roots of Christianity Church are not Western at all. Given the spiritual polarization that's going on and the the tears that are emerging in the church, of Jesus Christ. Let me mention this, because I think this is really important. Some folks who are very passionate about the exclusive part of what we've just been talking about seem to be at risk of forgetting about the inclusive part. And some folks who are passionate about the inclusive part seem to be at risk of forgetting about the exclusive part, but genuine followers of Jesus are passionate about both parts. Now on to verse 15, which finally confirms that all of this stuff about death ends up being genuinely good news. And he, that is Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I mean, are you kidding me? That's the heartbeat. If you're kind of wondering where it is, that's that's why we're doing this. The phrase that, Those who live, I think, is a hint that not everyone lives spiritually in this particular way, contra-universalism. But more importantly, for our purposes right now, people who put their hope in Jesus live. They live. They don't just die. They they live because, for their sake, Jesus died and was raised. Yes, the, the all- Died because Jesus died. But it gets even better. The all live because Jesus lives. I, I really don't know how to describe the love that's on display here. I was thinking about it this week. Now, how, how do you describe this? I, I recognize I'm not trying to be meta here. I'm just being honest. I recognize that at this point, it's very normative for pastors to give illustrations using Christ figures from very popular movies, right? You know, Gandalf gets a lot of press in these kinds of circumstances. But every time I hear something like that, I, I can't help but think, yeah, but Jesus' love is in such a league of its own, that it just it defies comparison. You just can't do it. Comparing Jesus' love with, and I, I promise this isn't product placement, I just thought of it earlier, so let's roll with it. Comparing Jesus' love with, with Gandalf's love is like comparing the, the coffee that we serve in our, our lobby, which is, which is resident coffee and you should go buy a bag at Wyatt's after the service. It's like comparing that coffee with Folgers. I mean, yes, they are both coffee. I mean, excellent word association, but they are not the same. So here's what I decided to do. I decided to let Scripture itself do the talking about this, which is always a really good plan, I think. John 15, 13. This is John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. How about that? Romans 5, 7, and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And man, when you, when you know this love, right, when you experience it, you no longer live for yourself, but for him who for your sake, died and was raised. That's what happens when you actually know that love. Well, here's a, a, a blunter way to put it for those of you that want the edgy version. When you know this love, you forget about yourself. There's a sense in which Paul is saying here, forget you. When you know this love, you forget about yourself. You, you learn the godly art of self-forgetfulness. That's what happens. Partly because continuing to look at and live for yourself after experiencing this kind of love would be something like pulling out a makeup mirror when you're standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. And partly because when Christ redeems us, we now belong to him and live for him instead of belonging to and living for our sins. You might say there's a change in ownership. There's new management. And yes, as we've already discussed in the Second Corinthians series, you never own your sin. Sin always owns you. That powerful independence you think you have is largely a mirage. So what would you rather be controlled by, your sin or the love of Jesus? And when we live for Jesus, when we're controlled by Him, we urgently tell others about Him because we know His love. And we desperately want other people to know it too. If we really know this love, and if this love is legit, church, any other posture would be selfish. It would be. It would not compute. How can we sit on this kind of treasure? You now You might say, well, well you know, pe- people don't want to hear about it. Listen, I get it. I, this is kind of a cynical take, uh, take here. I'm, I'm overdoing it to make a point, but, but I, kinda, I like to say that pastors and, and medical professionals have a lot in common. We make our living by, by giving people advice that they don't take. I get it. But that doesn't mean they don't need it. It doesn't mean they don't need it. In fact, in these cases, appetite turns out to be entirely misleading. Ask your doctor. So what am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. Be confident in the Lord and persuade people anyway. Respectfully? Absolutely. And there are a lot of very valid critiques of Christian evangelism that are heavy-handed, and manipulative, and so forth. Not that way. Respectfully, realizing that you don't need to be manipulative because, hello, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're being manipulative, it means you're trying to be more powerful than God. He doesn't need that. Be confident in the Lord and persuade people anyway. I'll close with this. I, I hope that the pandemic, the last couple of years, has maybe loosened us up a bit evangelistically. Because, I mean, if, if we've learned anything in the past couple of years, church, we are just not in control. If you're worried that your, your, your evangelistic boldness and, and, and prowess or whatever is going to mess up your, your, you know, your vocational life or whatever, interpersonal relationships, you have no idea what's going to happen on Tuesday. And here's the other thing. Your perceived opponents are not in control either. So, man, I hope this pandemic has loosened us up a little bit evangelistically. Go out boldly and persuade. And by the way, you might have noticed that everybody is doing some evangelizing these days. Holy smokes. I don't know if you've ever been living in a more evangelistic age. Politically and you name it. So why not add Jesus to the mix? Amen. Every week we participate in the Lord's Supper together. And here's what we're, we're participating. The Lord Jesus, in the night that he was to be betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples. And during that meal, he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And in a similar manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup, and as he poured it, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again, which is a joyful proclamation for followers of Jesus because as we were just talking about, he didn't stay dead. He rose again, and in him, those who put their hope in Christ have new life and are fully alive and will be even more alive when Christ returns, and he will return. So come, take of this meal. Be rightfully encouraged. And I hope it encourages you in such a way that you're emboldened to go out and persuade. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, evangelism is that's a tricky subject these days. Hopefully, this has been helpful for you in kind of understanding the heart behind Christian persuasion. You may not agree with it still, but hopefully this helps you kind of see why we're doing what we're doing, and we would love to have conversations with you about it and talk more about it. Instead of taking this meal that you wouldn't say that you believe, and we're really, we're so glad you're here, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, we would just encourage you to reflect on what we've been talking about this morning. I'm gonna pray for us, and after I do that, there will be an elder or a deacon on either side of this table, and each of them will have a a bowl with some wafers in there. You can simply come approach them when you're ready to take the meal, and they will put a wafer in your hand. And then after you do that, you'll see. I'll go ahead and put it up right now. But we'll have these cups, um, slightly heavier than I always think. Gonna drop it one day, and it's gonna be something. Um, And then you can simply come and take one of these cups, and then you can take communion up here, uh, or you can go back to your seat and take communion, however you want to do it. We also, I believe, we do still have some um, communion packets if you'd rather not approach somebody. They're sitting on the hospitality table in the back in a little basket. So come, enjoy this communion meal. And then after that, after the communion service, the elder and, and or deacon who helped with the service will be standing near those doors, this door and that door, so that if you want to, you can come pray with them. Let's pray. Lord, we do give you praise. I pray that this would be much more than a a time for remembering, but a time for nourishment and strengthening. We know that you are present with us in a very real way by the power of your Spirit. And so would you move accordingly, lift up our heads, encourage us. And Father, we do pray that you would expose sin, as painful as that is, so that we can repent of it and and enjoy your grace and rest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
7: from your love to keep us from is why.
2: Would you stand with us? Let's sing together.
1: I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. stain, He washed it white as snow.
2: Sing, Lord, now indeed I find.
1: sin stain he wasd white as snow
2: and when before the throne
1: Died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Left a crimson stain, he was still white as
4: snow. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. I do hope we will see you again at four o'clock this afternoon over at Creekside. Come one, come all, hear this benediction, and we'll sing the doxology together. This is Ephesians chapter 3.
1: praise him all creatures here below praise him above the heavenly host praise father son
0: Give us of all of our sin And give us the grace to forgive When we have been sinned against Restore us, renew us again Give us the meekness to heal Give us the mercy to men, forgive us all our sins, as we ourselves forgive. Anything wrong with the lights on stages,
1: you even love it when the crowd gets loud, singing out God's praises. But every now and then, it can get a little complicated. So I remember when I was in that old church basement, singing hallelujah. It's just in